Welcome to the Breath Magazine podcast. Learn more about Breath Magazine and sign up for our newsletter to receive the latest news and updates at our website, breathmagazine.com. And now for today's episode. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Romans 1. As you're turning there, let me say in the next few sermons, we're going to get into Paul's letters. And the reason why we're going to do that is because in Galatians, Paul says that he received his revelation directly from the Lord. And then he says in the very same letter, he says, it's by my letters that you come to understand my intelligence in the mystery of Christ. And the mystery of Christ being his death, burial, and resurrection. So it's by Paul's letters that we really understand what the significance of his death, burial, and resurrection was, and that gives us the power to walk out our salvation. So if you're in Romans 1, let's read verses 14 to 17. Paul writes, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Hence my eagerness to proclaim the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone believing. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed out from faith unto faith. Just as it stands written, the righteous one out from faith shall live. Now what we want to focus in on is that phrase, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because the implication is that there's something weird about the gospel. There's something that is hard to swallow about the gospel. And Paul responds and says, I'm not ashamed of it. And the question is, what's hard to swallow? Or what's he mean? Well, when we go to 1 Corinthians one twenty three, we see it drawn out just a little bit further. Paul there writes, But we preach a Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and nonsense to Gentiles. Notice that, a stumbling block to Jews, and nonsense to Gentiles. What is Paul talking about there? Because he's got two separate kinds of people. He's got uh, the people of God, Israel, the Jews, and then he's got the rest of everybody else who he says is nonsense. The gospel's nonsense to them. Well, let's break it down and see exactly what Paul's talking about and then where he comes back and says, well, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. Let's take on the Jews first. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Deuteronomy 21. Now, while you're turning there, let me give you some backstory about Deuteronomy 21. First off, it's in the Law of Moses. Now, when we read Paul's letters, he refers to the law. And there have been quite a number of preachers who take that term law and apply it generally or generically. In fact, there are a couple Bible translations that use it as principle. But Paul's not talking about law or principle in the, in the general sense. 
He's talking about the law of Moses. He's talking about the old covenant. Sometimes it's strictly construed to be the five uh, first books, the Pentateuch. And sometimes it's construed as uh, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. But in any case, it is the holy writings of Israel. When we talk about the law, when we talk about the law of Moses, or we talk about the Old Testament, the Old Testament was given to a specific people. Not to everybody in the world, but to a specific people called of God, elected by God for a certain mission, a certain status. So that's one thing to keep in mind when we turn back to Deuteronomy 21. The second thing to keep in mind is what Paul tells us about Jesus in Galatians. He says that Jesus was born of a woman, and then the second thing is born under law. And that's what Paul is referring to. He's talking about the Jews' law. He's talking about the Old Covenant. And that's one reason why Jesus was born a Jew, or why it's important that he was born a Jew. That's one way to put it. He wasn't a Serbian. He wasn't a Croatian. He wasn't a Canadian. He wasn't a Texan. He was a Jew, and he was a Jew for a particular reason. And that's one thing that we're going to explore here in this sermon. So in Deuteronomy 21, we turn to verses 22 and 23. And let me read them to you because I... And is executed... And you hang him on a tree. And then there's a parenthetical. Anyone hung on a tree is accursed of God. In parenthetical, and then it says, His corpse must not remain all night on the tree. You shall bury him that same day. You must not defile the land that the Lord has given you for a possession. Now let's break this down into what it's saying. This is a, these are scriptures written to Israel. And they say when someone, meaning a Jew, is convicted of a crime punishable by death and is executed, you hang him on a tree and this is what happens. You hang that man on a tree, the condemned, let's say man for brevity's sake. When you hang that man on a tree, he is cursed of God. You see, hanging on the tree is both humiliating or humiliation and rejection. He no longer belongs to the people of God. He is an outcast. And that's shown among all the people. He's hung up, and he is cursed of God. That means he's cut off from the land. He's cut off from the people, from Israel. And if he's cut off from the people of Israel, he's also cut off from the God of Israel. Now, the verses go on and say, when you hang him on a tree, you don't leave him up there you take him down that very day. And it says, because you must not defile the land that the Lord has given you for a possession. What, what are the verses speaking there? It's speaking about 
a contamination. That this corpse, this man is cursed. And if you leave him up there, he will contaminate the land. No, you take him down and you bury him. You put him away. You put his corpse away. Now we are talking about the gospel being a stumbling block to the Jew. We fast forward to the trial of Jesus. He has been to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's been arrested, and then what happens? They take him to a Jewish council. Listen to Mark 14. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes were assembled. And then he undergoes a trial. Now, in Mark 14, 61, we pick it up there, and it says, But he was silent and did not answer. And this was because the high priest was cross-examining him. And it says, And again the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes and said, Why do we still need witnesses? You've heard this blasphemy. And he turns to the council and he says, What is your decision? And listen to what scripture tells us. All of them condemned him as deserving death. Now put that in the context of Deuteronomy 21. Because Jesus now has been charged with a crime that's punishable by death, and now he has been condemned to death. What is left is he needs to be executed and hung on a tree. Right? That's Deuteronomy 21. Well, we have the narrative about the Jews taking Jesus over to Pilate because they want the Romans to crucify him. Now, Pilate, he doesn't want anything to do with Jesus at the beginning because, what, his wife had a dream, said, have nothing to do with this man. But listen to Mark 15, 11, because Pilate is speaking to the crowds, and it says, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him, meaning Pilate, released Barabbas for them instead. And that was according to a custom. But listen to this. Pilate spoke to them again, then what do you wish me to do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And of course, this is Jesus. And this is what the crowd shouts back. Listen to this. They shouted back, crucify him. Now these are Jews in the crowd. And they say, crucify him. We tend to think in our Western minds that, oh, well, they just want to, they want him to die. No, it wasn't just that. No, the Jews wanted him to be cursed of God. You see, Deuteronomy 21, he has, Jesus has been arraigned and he has been found guilty by a Jewish council of a crime punishable by death. He didn't commit the crime, you understand that, but he's been arraigned and he's been condemned to death 
by the Jewish council, and now he is going to be, what, hung on a tree, and that's what this crowd is thinking of. We want him hung on a tree. We want him to be exiled from us. We want him to be cursed of God. We want him to be exiled from the God of Israel. That's what they're saying. And that's why when you read in the gospel narratives, when they say crucify, it's not just, well, we want him dead. No, we want him to be accursed. And that's based upon their own law. Now, we fast forward to the place of the skull, Golgotha. And we see Jews up there mocking Jesus, Listen to what Matthew writes. Those who passed by blasphemed him, shaking their heads, saying, You who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from that cross. In the same way, the chief priests, also along with the scribes and the elders, were mocking him. Now notice that these are the men who condemned him to death. And they're up at Golgotha and they're mocking him too. And they say, he saved others, he can't save himself. Oh yeah, he's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he wants to. For he said, I'm God's son. What are they doing there? They're mocking him because he's cursed of God, according to their own law. Notice that they say, well, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, you know, and that is, that is so, so debasing. Why? Because they know that Jesus has been cursed. So they know that God's not saving him because he's been exiled from the people. He's been exiled from Israel up on that cross. So you can see how these insults and mockings go to the heart of what is in Israel's law. And you can see their attitude. Their attitude is, we want nothing to do with him. He is a contamination to us. He is poison to us. And they say he saved others, but he can't save himself. And the irony here is that if Jesus saved himself, he wouldn't save any others. If he saved himself from the cross, we wouldn't have redemption at all. There wouldn't be any plan of salvation left. There'd be nothing left. It would have been a failed attempt to redeem mankind if he came down from the cross. But you see, they did this. They mocked him for at least three hours. Mark says that Jesus was crucified at nine in the morning and darkness came over at noon. Now listen to what Isaiah the prophet wrote of Golgotha. Isaiah was a prophet that lived 600 years before Christ was crucified, but he saw the crucifixion. And he saw the Jews on Golgotha. And this is what he writes. He writes, He was despised and rejected by others, a man of sorrows and acquainted with infirmity. 
and as one from whom others hide their faces. He was despised and we held him of no account. We accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. You see, Isaiah sees him in the light of Deuteronomy. We accounted him stricken, struck down by God. You see that according to God's own law, the law of Moses. Now, here's something that a lot of preachers miss, and a lot of us miss because we're not, we're not familiar with Israel's law. In Isaiah 53, 12, Isaiah says that Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. Now, usually the way that's preached is that, you know, you had, you had two men crucified with Christ, one on either side of them, and they're called bandits in the gospel, or they're called thieves or whatever you want to call them. But Isaiah sees them through Deuteronomy 21 also. You see, those men were crucified under Jewish law too. They were deemed accursed of God too. The difference with them was that they committed their crimes and then the Jews put them up to be crucified. The thing with Jesus is he was without sin. We know that from Paul's letters. Him who knew no sin. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. But listen to what John writes in his gospel about these other men. In John 19.31, it reads, Since it was the day of preparation, the Jews didn't want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially because that Sabbath was a great day of great solemnity. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. Why did the Jews go to Pilate about this? Because of Deuteronomy 21. You see, in the mechanics of being crucified, the, the feet are nailed to the cross, but they're, they're nailed at an angle. And what the crucified men do is they push themselves up by their feet in order to breathe. And then when they weaken, then they, then they go back down and their weight is held by the, the, by the nails in their hands or their wrists. But in order to breathe again, they push themselves back up on their feet. And so what the Jews are asking Pilate to do is break the guy's legs because that way they can't rise up on, on their crosses anymore. They can't push up on their feet and they would die a, a whole lot more quickly. And then they say, uh, then John writes, so they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. Why are they asking Pilate about that? Because of Deuteronomy 21. Remember, the law says, the Torah says, you don't leave the corpse up. You take it down the same day, otherwise the land would be contaminated or defiled. 
So they go to Pilate and they ask these things, and Pilate says, okay. Verse 32, it says, Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who had been crucified with him. Those men were still alive. So you see that the Roman soldiers break the legs so the guys can't breathe anymore, and they die an earlier death. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Jesus had already handed over his spirit, according to John. So what's the takeaway from this? Well, you go back to what we were talking about, a stumbling block, the gospel being a stumbling block to the Jews. It wasn't that Jesus died that that's a stumbling block. Because he could have died as a martyr. And martyrs are usually venerated. He could have died for the cause, for the cause of Israel. No, it was the manner in which he died that is the stumbling block. It was because he was killed, he was crucified, he was hung on a tree under Israel's own Torah or law. And by being crucified that way, he came under God's curse. And so to the Jew, how in the world can a man who is under God's curse be God's Messiah, be God's son, be God's anointed one to deliver Israel, to be the savior of the world? You know, it's kind of like the Jew says, well, I don't get that. I can't accept that because I know that the law came from God. I know that the law is good. Paul calls it good. So how in the world does your gospel work? I don't get it. You see, it's a stumbling block to the Jew. And then we turn over to the Gentiles. The Gentiles is a little bit more general because it's just nonsense to Gentiles. Why would the gospel be nonsense to Gentiles? Well, first of all, we see that the Gentiles, the way of the world, is to lord it over one another. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew. He says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. See, it's all about power. The way of the world is power. But here's what Paul writes about the crucifixion with Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 13, Paul writes, For he was crucified in weakness. So from the outset, you see that the Gentiles will start questioning. He said, what do you mean? What, what do you mean by this gospel where a man was crucified in weakness? And then we can draw that out a little bit when we look at Pilate, because Pilate was a Gentile. Now, in turning our attention to Pilate, remember that Jesus entered Jerusalem right before his crucifixion. He entered Jerusalem on a little donkey. Listen to John 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, listen to this, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. 
In verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it's written, Don't be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. You know, usually rulers, emperors, conquerors, Alexander the Great, you name it, they come with a big war horse, a big white horse or a black horse to show that they are conquerors. And here Jesus comes to Jerusalem on a little tiny donkey and he's still hailed as king. Well, Pilate must have caught whiff of this. He must have understood what was going on just in the fact that Jesus was being declared king. And then what happens? Well, Jesus is condemned to death and then he appears before Pilate. And then we have this exchange in Mark. They bound, they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You say so. You say so. Why would Pilate say so? I didn't understand that for a long time. Because we see Pilate at first, he didn't want anything to do with Jesus. His wife had had a dream and said, have nothing to do with this man. And then Pilate sought to release him. But he's acting as an agent of Rome. And what the Jews do is they test him. Because the Jews say in John, we have no king but Caesar. They throw off God and they throw off God's own king because they say, we have no king but Caesar. And then they test Pilate. He said, hey, are you not going to do something about this man who is a king? Meaning that his authority contests those of Caesar's? Caesar's authority? So what Pilate does is he calls him king, the king of Israel. And then you see the mockery starts. You see the insults and the humiliation. His soldiers, listen to what his soldiers do to Jesus. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him into the courtyard of the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole cohort, and they clothed him in a purple cloak. And after twisting some thorns into a crowd, they, into a crown, they put it on him. And they began saluting him, Hail, King of the Jews. Notice how they're mocking him. Get a picture of this. Jesus has already been flogged. He's bloody. He's exhausted. He's full of sweat and blood, and they put a purple cloak on him, and they make a crown of thorns for him, and they beat it on his head with a stick. And then they bow down, and they mock him, and they insult him. 
And they salute him saying, Oh, hail king of the Jews. This is how the world treats the God of Israel's king. They struck his head with a reed, spat on him, knelt down in homage to him. And after mocking him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. You see, Rome at that time could have killed or executed Jesus quietly. They could have just taken him into a room. They could have, you know, knifed him. They could have done any, any myriad of things to him. But they, what they did was Rome mocked him and humiliated him. Rome took the advantage or took the opportunity to mock the God of Israel. You see, we're not too familiar with kings today. There are not too many kings or parliaments and presidents. But back then, the king was summed up in his people. And when it came to the God of Israel, well, the king of Israel was his anointed one, his appointed one, his son of God. So when Rome takes that king and mocks him, and insults him, and humiliates him, it is humiliating the God of Israel. You see that. And that's why we have those narratives in the Gospels. That's why they're important to see. Now let me say a word about crucifixion. Crucifixion, back in those days, was not done in some field somewhere out out of the way. It wasn't done in private. It was put forth center stage for everyone to see. It was a spectacle, and it was meant to be a spectacle. That's why we have the place of the skull. It was on a hill where people could see men being crucified, men being humiliated. Victims of crucifixions were subject to optimal, unmitigated ridicule, and we see that in the, in the gospel narratives. The condemned man, and we see this with Jesus, had to carry his own cross, the cross beam, and had to carry it with the charges on him, just in mockery and humiliation. This was Rome telling the world this is what we do to enemies of the state. This is what we do to those who question our authority and our power. And Rome did it to the king of Israel. Now bear in mind that Pilate wasn't a believer. This was all done in mockery. Listen to this out of John's Gospel. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. Or in other words, it was very public. And it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Why? Humiliation and shame. 
Then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Don't write the king of the Jews, but write that this man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. They used to bug me. Why did he say that? And that is because the crucifixion was meant to humiliate God. This was Rome saying to to God, the God of Israel, that we will snuff you out. We will humiliate your divinely appointed king. We will shame him, and in doing so, we will shame you. And you see in John that the soldiers gambled for Jesus' own clothing. They stripped him naked and then gambled for his clothes underneath the cross. One thing to note about crucifixion, too, is that there was no privilege of the face. Think about this. In modern executions, most of the time, there's some kind of hood or scarf put over the condemned man's face to hide him going into death. Nothing like that with crucifixion. It was wide open. Like I said, it was a public spectacle. It was meant to humiliate the man. No privacy. You'd see death hold on to him and how he succumbed to death. Condemned men in crucifixions must have been ghastly to behold because we read about it in Psalm 22. Listen to the words. Listen to the echoes of Jesus on the cross. He screams out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer and by night, and find no rest. That's because he's been, he has been made a curse. But listen to more of Psalm 22. But I am a worm, and not a man, scorned by others and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me, and they shake their heads. Oh, commit your cause to the Lord. Let him deliver. Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. That's all mockery. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs are all around me. A company of evildoers encircles me. My hands and feet have shriveled. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes amongst themselves. For my clothing, they cast lots. They gamble. You see the public humiliation of the God of Israel by the world. That's what you have on the Gentile side of the gospel. God has somehow allowed his king to be mocked and humiliated and subject to the worst degradation and then crucified. And you take this to the Gentile 
And he says, this is the king I'm supposed to fall down and worship and call Lord? Are you kidding me? Are you really kidding me, Paul? You mean that this man who was crucified and humiliated by Rome, who was mocked as the king of the Jews, whose own God was mocked, you're telling me that I should fall down and call him Lord? Really? Oh, come on, that's all nonsense. That's nonsense. The way of the world, the way that things are done, are by power. We see kings seated on thrones. We see kings seated on war horses. We see conquering men. We don't see a king coming on a little donkey into town and being crucified in shame. What are you talking about, Paul? What are you talking about? See, you can see how the gospel is a, is a stumbling block to the Jews and on the face of it, nonsense to the Gentiles. But what is the response? What is that response that we give? What do we say to that about the stumbling block and the nonsense? Well, we see it in the very next phrase. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. You know why? You want to know why I'm not ashamed? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. There's no other power. This is the power of God unto salvation. Yes, he allowed, to be, allowed himself to be humiliated. Yes, he allowed himself to be crucified. He allowed himself to become a curse. Why? for us. Isaiah 53, 10 says, yet it was the will of Yahweh to crush him. Why? So we could be saved. It was the only way we could be saved. So we are not ashamed because it is the power of God unto salvation. And we'll get into that in the next sermon. What does that mean? What's it mean for the Jew What's it mean for the Gentile? What's it mean for the believer? Hallelujah. We are not ashamed because it is. This gospel that we preach, this gospel of humiliation, this gospel of our Savior being cursed on a cross, it is the power of God unto salvation. Hallelujah. And now for the benediction. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The, the God of glory thunders. The Lord over mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is full of power. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord causes the oaks to whirl and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all say glory. 